0: This is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all form, with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at wfmd.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's Get ready to rumble! In this corner, weighing in with a master of divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the faith debate master of ceremonies, oh, yeah, <laughs> Troy Skinner. Welcome to another edition of the faith debate. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in again this week. We're on every week, Sunday mornings, nine to nine thirty, here on News Radio nine thirty WFMd. Uh, we're going to take the next three weeks, and we're going to look at. Uh, end times views. Postmillennialism, premillennialism, amillennialism, and the different variations within those views. We can't cover everything, but we're going to cover about as much as we possibly can, as quickly as we can. And so without any further ado, let's, uh, let's jump right on in. Good things come to those who wait. And speaking about good things that come to those who wait, the topic today is what Christians believe about the end times. So we're kind of doing a informal series, if you will. People who are uh, participating in the Facebook Live are suggesting questions that they're interested about, they've always wondered about, they, they're not sure about, don't know what to think about kind of things. And so this week, it's, going, it's the topic about the end times, the last days, Armageddon, all that sort of stuff. Next week is going to be, are there such things as ghosts? That was suggested last week and we'll do it next week. So... There is a ton of ground to cover, which is why I said we're not going to have time to do a song. Um, we're probably going to end up covering the kind of material that if this were a Sunday school class, a, a group study, a, a, a seminary or college class, it'd be an entire semester. So we're going to do an entire semester in less than, I don't know, 50 minutes is the goal here. So, And why this is, is we're not going to talk about things that non-Christians think about the end of, of the world. There's a lot of stuff we can talk about there. And we're not going to talk about things that would clearly be labeled as heretical with uh, by the church. And uh, there might be some people that are within the church who would hold heretical views. We're going to be focusing on views that uh, there's a divergence of opinion and view, but none of them will be considered heretical. None of them are salvation issues. And there's a divergence because the Bible is really clear in some particular and important ways and there are some other areas where the Bible is not quite as clear and it's harder for us to know the edges are fuzzy and we fill in those edges with our own ideas sometimes um, before it's all said and done I will tell you kind of what my position is just so you know uh, it doesn't mean I'm the be all end all and have it all figured out um, I mean I would say I do but <laughs> if you disagree that's fine so here's the framework and you're not really going to need a Bible, because I'm not going to be referencing a whole bunch of Bible verses. There will be a few. Uh, but if you want to take notes, you can take mental notes. If you want to jot some things down, it might be helpful later. Um, so we're going to have a, a three-part structure. The first part and last part will be relatively short compared to the middle part. The middle part is very complex and complicated and a lot of stuff going on. And that's going to be the, the heart of what we have to talk about. Uh, there are three primary views of the last days of the end of time as we know it among christians those three views are labeled postmillennialism premillennialism and amillennialism so millennialism millennial it's a latin word mille is the latin word for thousand so a millennial is a period of time is a thousand something a thousand years it's a reference to what's going on let's talk about in the book of revelation and so the post, the pre, and the ah uh, have some uh, are in relationship to Christ's return, His second coming, the second advent, whatever label you want to put on that. So if Christ, if a Christian believes that there will be a thousand-year millennium, and then Christ returns, that would be the post-millennial view because His return comes post-millennium. Mm-hmm pre comes before the start of the thousand years, and the amillennial, millennial We'll get into that. It's uh, it's a little bit more symbolic, uh, and not a and it's not about an exact timing question. So post-millennialism. Oh, post-millennialism. In this view of the end times, people who hold this view they see Christ's second coming as happening after the thousand year reign. This thousand year period represents a golden age in world history. Um, most people with this view, they expect that they're a very optimistic view of how time is going to progress and march forward. So they expect the vast majority of people, uh, increasing number of people over time to be saved, to become Christians, to be obedient in their Christian walk, uh, that there will be an increasing gospel momentum and expansion of the kingdom. Uh, that will produce a protracted time of, of just wonderfulness, of faith and righteousness and peace and prosperity. Things are getting better all the time. Very, very optimistic view. And then at the end of this golden age, Christ returns. Now, some post-millennialists, uh, uh, their view is that the Bible says a, a millennium, a thousand years, and it's going to be a thousand years. Uh, exactly. Exactly others would see the thousand years a little bit more figurative representing a very long period of time could be hundreds of years could be several thousand years where you know they don't necessarily hang their hat on a particular length of time this actually has a lot in common with a portion of what the amillennialist position is uh by the way um at the so at the conclusion of the millennium christ returns uh this ends history And at that point would be the general resurrection and the final judgment. And after that would be um, the eternal order, the the, the ongoing reality, whatever that's going to be after that. Now, you might not have heard much about this because it's not really that in vogue these days in most Christian circles. But this view was the dominant theological view among Protestants, especially uh, in the United States. Uh, and those Protestants who pushed for uh, uh, you know, reformed uh, movements in American history, the uh, um, the, the we're, we're going to have temperance movements, and people are going to we're going to do things to help people not sin and make things better and better. Um, and this was particularly true if you're uh, a student of American history, you know, with the Second Great Awakening. The Second Great Awakening was, was, was uh, pretty much fueled by an awful lot of post-millennial uh, thinkers and believers. But as you might imagine, a view this optimistic, you know, in the, you know all the way through in the 1800s, the Second Great Awakening, but then World War I happened, the, uh, all the violence of the 1920s happened, the Great Depression of the 30s happened, World War II and the 40s happened, and the Cold War and the dawn of the atomic uh, age, and you know, lots of unrest and civil strife. And So it didn't fit very well with an optimistic view of how things were getting better and better all the time, and so this particular view began to recede in popularity among Christians and among uh, theologians. Uh, because people became more pessimistic and more disillusioned, which doesn't square real well with this particular view. Now, but despite all that, there are still some major pockets uh, um, among Christianity who hold this view, um, particularly among those who are currently preaching uh, abolitionism and the social gospel and what is called the, um, the Christian Reconstructionism um, and could actually argue that in some ways this particular view post postmillennialism is making a bit of a comeback despite critics who push back against us saying they have what theologians like to call an over-realized eschatology, an over-realized eschatology, eschatology of the last things, last days And over-realized meaning we think that the last days are already here. They're pulling the promises of the future too much into the present, and they have too much optimism. And that's a a pretty uh, consistent refrain of critique against them. But in spite of this, um, uh, they're gaining some steam, something that's uh, the most, non millennials uh, expect is uh, a period of apostasy, of falling away where the, the church has uh, the church itself or the visible church, the, 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 the church that we see, not the, the church that God necessarily sees, the church that we see, uh, becomes less faithful to the Word. Uh, post millennialists because they're so optimistic or getting better or better, they think the church is going to become more obedient and isn't going to wrestle with the apostasy in the same way. So recapping, post-millennialism holds to the belief that gradually the gospel is going to convert the majority of the world's inhabitants. Christians, as a result of this, are going to possess increasing political power. In fact, they will rule all of the nations. They will control all aspects of of life in each of the nations. Um, there will be a genuinely Christian culture that takes root and flourishes thus Christianizing the entire world, uh, the human race as a whole, they would hold that there's exceptions, but on the whole, the human race will be obedient to the law of God. Uh, and so therefore there will be earthly peace worldwide, right? There'll be unprecedented (laughs) material prosperity, right? Poverty will disappear uh crime basically non-existent this is what they're thinking is is going to be coming before then christ returns now proponents of this particular uh, view the post-millennial view would include the puritans who uh were important obviously in the founding of this nation uh famous people like jonathan edwards uh charles hodge uh, james henry thornwell a.a uh, A. hodge bd B. warfield uh, and lots of other famous names. So even though you might not have heard a whole lot about it, it is a minority view in the Christian world right now. There are some heavyweight theologians that would fit in this camp. So it's not an insignificant view. And like I said, none of what we're talking about today would be considered heresy. Although I do think there are more problems with some of the views than some of the others. All right. Now you got to buckle up. I'm going to do my best to simplify this. And, and, and if anybody watching this video is a premillennialist. uh i'm gonna cover this so quickly that you might feel i'm covering parts of it unfairly i'm not meaning to be unfair uh, but there's a lot of ground to cover in premillennialism because there are so many camps within or under the umbrella of premillennialism. there are two primary camps so you have pre-millennialism on the whole and then over here, you've got historic premillennialism. And over here, a much larger group, you have you have what's called dispensational premillennialism. Historic premillennialism uh, is called historic because opponents of this view, they would claim that this view goes all the way back to the early church fathers, that it is the historic view of the church. Now, postmillennialists and... Uh, amillennialists would argue that point, but they're trying to distinct them, make themselves distinct from a Johnny come lately on the theological stage with dispensational premillennialism and say, no, no, that's new. We're not that. We're something that goes back 2,000 years. Uh, by the way, in case you hear terms at some point or you've heard terms before and you're wondering where they fit, um, the historic premillennialism is sometimes also referred to as post-tribulational premillennialism, just putting that out there. So, again, this view teaches the second coming of Christ, his second advent, is going to occur before his thousand-year reign happens, because it's pre-millennial. Christ comes, and then the millennium comes. And then after the millennium comes a great apostasy that we were talking about a moment ago. And during this great apostasy, this could uh, include a time of great tribulation, Uh, Different people within the historic premillennial view differ a little bit on that. Now, a major difference between historic and dispensational premillennialism has to do with the church in relation to Israel. Um, The historic view that we're focusing on right now does not make a very sharp distinction at all between Israel and the church. Instead, viewing uh, believers, those who are God's people, his elect, from all ages as part of one group. Uh, They hold this in common with an awful lot of all millennialists, by the way. Uh, And this plays out importantly. That's why the historic premillennialists don't want to be thought of as dispensational premillennialists. Because a variety of reasons, but this is a big one. Historic premillennialists see uh, no issue at all with the church going through a great tribulation, um, and this therefore eliminates the need for a separate pre-tribulational rapture of believers. We'll talk more about what the rapture is in a moment, but historic premillennialists, they don't emphasize the rapture, some of them would probably discount that there is a rapture, so that's a pretty big difference between them and the dispensationalists. Proponents of historic premillennialism would include just like the other group I just mentioned, some pretty heavyweight theologians like Charles Spurgeon, Al Mohler, John Piper, Francis Schaeffer, D.A. Carson, some very famous, well-regarded heavyweight theologians and a whole bunch of other famous names in this camp. So now, dispensational premillennialism. This is where it's really, really thick with weeds. This is be the hardest part for you to track with, and I'll do my best to simplify it. Dispensational premillennialism has a number of main branches, all under. So we have the big picture of of, of uh, premillennialism, historic premillennialism, premillennialism over here, and then dispensational premillennialism over here. And under the dispensational part, there's a whole bunch of other smaller umbrellas which would include classical dispensationalists, progressive dispensationalists, traditional dispensationalists, grace movement dispensationalists, and others. (laughs) So, dispensationalism interprets the Bible through a system, a grid, if you will, a historic grid, that divides history into what they label and identify as dispensations. These dispensations are Periods or ages of, you know, periods of time within which God deals uh, distinctly and differently with people and particularly with his people in those moments. So this dispensation followed by this dispensation followed by this dispensation. And in each of those dispensations, God is acting and moving and dealing with his people very differently. And so there is a lot of discontinuity in the way that God deals with people over time. And so, hence, there is a definite distinction, therefore, between Israel and the Christian church. Israel, in the dispensational mindset, is an ethnic nation. And the promises to that ethnic nation, to those people of God, need to be fulfilled to the ethnic people Of God and they would say that the church in distinction from this would be all the saved individuals who are part of our present age our present dispensation which generally most dispensationalists would probably say somewhere around Pentecost or the the time of Jesus on earth uh, very often from Pentecost all the way up to at least the rapture maybe through the end of the uh, seven-year tribulation according to their system. So again, I mentioned there's classical dispensationalists, they see the, uh, the present day church, what we, the, the age that we're in now, the church that we have now, they see this time as a parenthesis, a parenthesis a in the progress of ethnic Israel. So again, all these dispensations of dealing with ethnic Israel, and then there's a pause. God hits the pause button, and there's a parenthesis for the church. And then at the end of this parentheses time, God unpauses and picks back up with his promises to ethnic Israel, okay? And then there are progressive dispensationalists. They soften that Israel church distinction I was just talking about. There are the dispensations, but it's not as much of a parentheses. There's a little bit of an overlap in how they talk and think about those things. And there's also, I mentioned, the traditional dispensationalists and the the grace movement dispensationalists. and the Grace Movement uh, folks, they, uh, they emphasize that the beginning of the church uh, began with the ministry of Paul, not with the ministry of Jesus, so that would, that would separate them from the other groups. And, we're not, and There are other distinctives, and this is why it would take weeks and weeks and lots of books. But I just want to put those out just to get a sense of how complicated, and to be honest, I would almost argue convoluted it can become sometimes. We're not going to talk about all this uh, tonight. Uh, So, again, there are almost unending variations among dispensationalists, and the number of dispensations vary among the groups. Typically, anywhere from three dispensations to eight dispensations, most dispensationalists hold to a a time frame scheme that has seven dispensations. And these uh, seven ages that most dispensationalists uh, keep in in mind as their grids, so when the dispensationalist is reading the Bible... Particularly as they're reading the Old Testament, they're thinking, okay, what dispensation is this talking about? Because God's dealing differently there than he is in this other part. And so the seven ages uh, in dispensationalist premillennialism would be the age of innocence, the age of conscience, the age of human government, uh, the age of promise, the age of law. And then we get to the final two. We'll spend a little bit more time on these two because uh, they're talking about the present and the future. The Age of Grace, which is also sometimes called the Church Age. That's the parenthetical dispensation Mm -hmm. that they would claim we're in now. And uh, this time generally, again, covers from at least the cross of Christ, maybe the ministry of Christ, possibly Pentecost, somewhere in that, somewhere in the first century or the early first century uh, up to and through what is referred to as the secret rapture of the church and then the Great Tribulation. Um, And I'll swing back to that in a sec. Well, no, I'll talk about that now. So the secret rapture, meaning Christ, when he returns, he returns in two phases, according to this view. Christ, in his second return, comes partway and then calls up those who are alive on earth and his believers to be swept up off the earth and up into heaven. Simultaneously, and in a way that the world doesn't notice that Christ came, they just notice that people disappeared. And you've probably seen movies along this line with the rapture, where all the Christian believers—they—they they, all of a sudden they're invisible. All you see are their clothes; like everything else is gone. That's this view being played out in a book or or in a movie or that sort of a thing. Um, and so it's secret because you don't see Jesus. Nobody knows what's going on. Where all the people go, and, and then the tribulation period. Uh, begins, this great tribulation period that uh, in the dispensational scheme is seven years. And then after the rapture and after the seven years of tribulation, then comes the millennial kingdom. And so Jesus came partway, grabs his people, and then goes back. And then seven years later, he comes all the way back. And when he comes all the way back, that's not invisible, that's not secret. And then there's a thousand-year reign of Christ. Uh, on earth, the millennium, which is centered, uh, the government for that millennial reign, the kingdom is centered in Jerusalem, uh, and it ends with God's judgment and. Uh, That final judgment comes after a final rebellion. So Christ comes back, rules for a thousand years, but then there's one last gasp effort by Satan and his demons and the enemies of God to make one last push. It's squashed rather quickly and easily, and then that's it. Everybody goes in the lake of fire who's bad, and everybody else goes on into eternal bliss. So, dispensationalists, they believe that Israel as a nation, because, again, ethnic Israel is really important in the dispensational understanding. Israel as a nation, as a nation-state, as a geopolitical entity, and as an ethnic group of people, they will embrace Jesus as the Messiah. And this is going to happen toward the end of the Great Tribulation, toward the end of the seven years. And that's what primes the pump for Jesus to then return in his second coming. Now, proponents of this... Uh, view, the, uh, the dispensational premillennialist view uh, would include pretty much its founder, John Nelson uh, Darby, its uh, first real uh, um, spokesperson or spokesperson with a huge amount of, uh, of influence and voice in theological circles, C.I. Schofield, uh, Harry Ironside, Miles Stanford, uh, R.B. Shifflett, Dwight Moody, uh, Lewis Sperry Schaefer, who's the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary. So Dallas Theological Seminary would be a dispensational pre-millennials mm-hmm. seminary. Uh, and Tim LaHaye, who is famous as the author of the Left Behind series, which, you know, whispered a moment ago. It's, it's a series of books that were very popular throughout the 90s and into the 2000s. They made a series of movies about them. I think they might have starred Kirk Cameron in the movies. And uh, yeah. um, and, uh, and, again, lots of other famous names are in this camp. As well. And we're going to pause there with the famous names in the camp and all that sort of thing. Uh, this is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMB. We're walking through eschatological views. We're talking about, uh, well, we talked today mostly about post millennialism. We started getting into dispensationalism. We'll talk more about dispensationalism next week. Also, we'll get to all millennialism and some of the various aspects of being pre tribulation, post tribulation, mid tribulation. And other things like that. So if you've always kind of wanted to have a run through towards these different kind of views and what all these different names and labels mean, well, then this series of shows is for you. So this is one of three shows in a row we're going to do on this topic. So we'll be back next week picking up where we left off this week. If you want to find us online, it's WFMD.com, keyword faith. You can find us on Facebook. You can find me personally, Troy Skinner, on Facebook, on Gab, on MeWe, on parlor. Um, and at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Householdoffaithinchrist.com is a website I have where all sorts of stuff about me and the church that I'm involved with. Anyway, till next time, 167 and a half hours from right now. God bless.